Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now let's jump into this week's message. Um, listen, we're in the book of Acts, and last week we established a truth in Acts chapter 5, and that is this. We are in a spiritual war. That's a reality. There's no doubt about it. There's no debate with it. We're in a spiritual war. We saw when Ananias and Sapphira were um, confronted, they were confronted with this statement, why has Satan filled your heart? Not, why did you make a poor choice? Uh, you made a little mistake. This spiritual dynamic of the fact that Satan himself filled the heart of those that God wanted to use to further his glory and to expand his church, they had become a victim to the lies of the evil one. And we realize this, this, this reality that we're in a war. I would even say it like this. Listen, most people desire to want to do what's right, what's godly, most people want to honor God with their lives, but they don't fulfill that, not because they don't have the willpower, because they've forgotten that they're in a war, that there's something waged against them to keep them from fulfilling everything that God desired and designed for them. It's a reality. So here in the book of Acts, we see God beginning to establish his church. Make no mistake. The reality is God is trying to establish his church. Satan wants to destroy his church. This is the place that God has chosen to display his glory and his goodness, to further advance his mission, and Satan would love nothing more than to destroy, divide, cripple, maim, whatever it is, what God wants to accomplish. And it's his church. And in Acts chapter 6, we begin to see this story unfold, this reality of this war that's waged that we saw there in chapter 5. And I want to just look at it today. Because I'm convinced that we don't understand it to the extent that it's really happening. Someone once said this, if I could only see the spiritual realm for a few seconds, it would change my understanding of what it means to be a disciple forever. Because I would care more, because I would see that there are demons and there are evil forces and powers Surrounded me going against everything that God desires for me and designed for me. Change you forever. So today we're going to talk about the battle of building the church. And we're going to take a, a big bite out of, out of this. Uh, we're going to actually look at chapter 6 and 7. You know why? 
Because it's change your clocks ahead. I don't know, I, I have no idea why, no. The reality is it's one story. And I want you to see three elements in this story that are critical to God building his church as he designed and as he desired. And I want you to see it, it's powerful. So we're gonna begin in Acts chapter six. Strap in, because we're gonna make our way through here. And it's a beautiful, beautiful narrative. Acts chapter 6, and we'll read down through verse 7. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching in the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I told you there are three things that I see in these two chapters that are, that are critical to our understanding of what God wants to establish. Remember, this is the beginning of the church. This is the birth of the church. And we begin to see the foundation that's being set, but we also see the war that rages against it. So the first thing that I want you to see is we must realize how they confronted the challenges in the church. In the church. Now this, you would say, well, is that really like spiritual warfare against the, the, the church? Aren't they just talking about a need in the church and we need to meet the need? Yes, but listen now, I don't want you to miss this. That as he was dis describing the need, hey, we need help with the widows who aren't receiving what they need from the church. They're being neglected. What can happen in a moment like that? It's not just that a need is realized, but a lie can be told. A lie by those saying, you know what? We're not important. They don't care about us. They've forgotten us. I'm just a number. I'm... All of these things can be swirling around. And what you have really is you have a need that needs to be met. But you have all of these thoughts. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. Why has Satan filled your heart to think these things? God wants to meet that need. That need is a real need. But Satan can take a moment like that and bring division and discouragement within the body. I must admit, when I first read this, I was encouraged. It said in the, in, the, in the first church, there was a complaint. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, they weren't perfect either. And I, I guess misery likes company at times, right? So you had this, but how did they address it? How did they confront it? And what we see is that they stepped right into this to care for the need that arose, but they did it in this very unique way. 
They did it not by, you know, the leadership saying, well, we better get after it. What they did is they, they said, we need to allow the leadership to keep doing what it's doing, and we are a community of faith that needs to band together to meet the needs that exist within the context of this body, this, this community of faith. Listen, don't miss this. Even from the very beginning, the church was not about a place that they just attended. It was about a community they were a part of. They sought out people within the community of faith to minister to the others in the community of faith. And if I had to say it this way, it would be this. We don't come to be served, but to serve. The church has a posture of service that we, we look at one another and you say, well, count on me, I'll help. Tell me what's needed. Is there a need within the church that I can help out with? I think it's one of the distinguishing factors. We talk about membership. And the distinction of membership is this idea of, I'm, I'm putting my name on this line because you can count on me. Have a need, call me. There's something that needs to be addressed, count on me. I, I want to step into it. I have a membership to Costco. Some of you do as well. I see you there. On Fridays as we're munching on the snacks <laughs> that they give out for free. Um, and the reality is when I go into Costco, I show my little, uh, my card. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Like I'm one of those VIPs, you know, that gets let in this big box store and, and uh, I'm looking at how it can serve me. I didn't buy the membership so I can go in there and help them. I bought the membership so that they can help me. The distinction with the church is this, that we are a community of faith banded together, not by man's design, but by God's design. To lock arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder so that we can accomplish what God desired the church to be. When there's a need, we step into it. We address it and we meet it. It was funny while I was writing this this week, I, I received an email. So I'm, I'm writing, you know how you get a little notification on your phone? I'm, I'm a little ADD. So I'm always, I can't stay any place long. I'm just, my mind wanders. And so I was like, oh, who, who's that? And so I click on it. And it was our, our children's, um, one of our children's leaders. And they said, hey, just write in this email. Want you to know we're blessed beyond measure. But we need help. And I'm like, if only there was a passage of scripture to address such a thing. We're talking about this, you know, I'm in that, and I'm like, oh, my word. Listen to this. We are blessed. Last week itself, we had 93 kids, zero to fifth grade in that wing. 93 kids. That's not an anomaly. That happens week after week after week. And it's not a problem. It's a blessing. And so we just need to step in there and say, God, how do you want to pour me out? What does it look like? I mean, greeters, ushers, all of this. We, you know, I had the, the deacon of senior care say, 
Man, we could use some families to, to help shovel the walk of some seniors because right now we have seniors shoveling seniors' sidewalks. And I'm like, and that's not working out? <laughs> the, the reality is we need to act differently. We are not just an organization made by people. We are designed by God as a community of faith to have a posture, don't forget this, a posture of service. How can I serve? And the amazing thing about this is when we're all doing it together, there's joy, needs are being met, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God designed. So afterwards, if you want to help out in the children's ministry, see Pastor Matt. Uh, in all seriousness, we could use another 10 hands uh, there to help out. The second thing that I want you to see is not just how they confronted the challenges in the church and how Satan would love to take that, those challenges and divide and discourage and create all kinds of you know, other negative stuff. We just got to say, man, this is, this is great. Let's step into it. Let's do this, right? But I want you to see how they prepared for the challenges against the church, the one thing I'm convinced of is this, that when you walk out of this, this is kind of a safe place. We come, we sing, we, we, we read scripture, we pray together, and it feels good. I feel safe here. But when we step out of here, you step sometimes into a workplace that stands against everything that we stand for here. You may walk back into a family who does not share the same beliefs that you have. You might be in a marriage that that's true, a friend group that that's true, and you don't have the support of faith-filled people to surround you. And so how, how do we navigate this? I want, I want to take you through the second part of chapter 6, and there's, it's interesting, a few things that come out here. And in verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say, This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Oh, this is powerful. Listen, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. How did they prepare for the onslaught of the enemy against the church? And when I say the church, not just this grace chapel, the people of God both individually and collectively, how did they stand against that? 
Well, what we see is Stephen, he was called to a ministry. He was serving well. But what was happening behind the scenes? What was happening was there was a scheme. There was a plan to ruin and destroy a man, his ministry, and the church that he was associated with. And it was intentional. Here we see how, I believe, you stand against that reality of the battle that's waged against the church. And what we see evidenced is they didn't place the value on his, his gifting or his abilities or all of his, his talents. It was about his character. Every description of Stephen through there wasn't like, and he's good with hospitality. You know, he's incredible with widows. No, it didn't say any of that. It says this, that he was full of the spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of grace. It wasn't like a dash of grace, dash of wisdom. It says that he was full of these things. That there was this essence that within him, there was this, there was nothing lacking in that reality. That what God was forming in Stephen was allowing Stephen to stand against the onslaught that was coming against him. And I think this is so critical for us as a church is that we realize that every one of us will battle. You will battle when you walk out of here. You will battle when you go to work. You will battle where this world is not in step with what God wants. They are against what God wants, contrary to the scriptures say. And so when you go out into the world, you're going to face challenges. How do you face them well? As this says, we, we are reminded that what God was forming in Stephen allowed him to stand against the onslaught against Stephen. And the same is true of this community of faith is what God is forming in us helps us stand up for what happens against us. And it causes us to ask the question, what is God forming in me? He uses a couple things, you know, to describe that, that he was full of the spirit and wisdom. Is the spirit of God so real in you and so present in you that it, you could say, you are full of the spirit and full of wisdom? Then it talks about power, that my confidence my confidence in God and his greatness is unmovable. That I have such a belief in who God is and his greatness, the one who formed these worlds, who spoke everything into existence, who has th this incredible design of how he has formed us and put us together. That's the God that I'm standing for. That I have this deep-seated belief in my soul of the greatness of God that will stand against the threats of man. It's powerful. And then we see this incredible thing. He was gracious toward those around him. It wasn't condemning. It wasn't out there like, you know, 
putting people, he loved people. He was gracious toward people. And it describes him as full of grace. If I had to put it this way, don't forget, this would be a statement I would say take with you. What is being shaped in you is what is being expressed outside of you. Often we want to do the right thing, stand strong, be that person like Stephen, standing against the onslaught of the world, the evil one, all of these things. But what allowed that to happen is what God had formed in him. We have to pull back there and say, what is God forming in me? I need to be a person that is full of the spirit, full of truth and wisdom and grace and power. Because he uses this word full to recognize that it's not a little wisdom, a little power, a little, that there is no room for Satan or these lies to exist there because I have filled my life with the truth and with the power of God. There's no room for the other. The last thing that I want you to see is chapter 7. You ready? I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a long chapter, but it's a story. And the reason why I've included it here is because it connects. It connects. This story unfolds. He starts telling the history. Stephen starts telling the history of Abraham and basically this Jewish history, all the way in Moses and, you know, uh, Joshua. And, and he tells the story of the people of God. And he does so to expose a couple things. Number one, he does so to expose the sinfulness and the rebellion of mankind. It's in our nature. We see it historically. But he also does it to show the faithfulness and the love of God. That he didn't abandon them, but he continued to be faithful and pursue them and to restore them. It's the story of the gospel. The truth is, we all by, it says we, we were conceived in sin. Our story, no matter who you are on the face of the planet, isn't that you have a spark of good in you. The story is this, that you have a sinful nature. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. The rest of your life, you'll teach him to do right. It's this human nature. It's our story from creation. And we go back and we tell this story so that we can then shine the light of the gospel and hope and beauty. But if you don't see the one side of the story, nobody needs a rescuer to come. And so Stephen tells this story, and I want to read the end. He... He does get pretty clear with them. He actually, in verse 51, calls them stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, and always resistant to the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be uh, winning friends and influencing people. But it says the preaching of the cross, oftentimes when we share the gospel with people, it can create not just a bridge, 
but it can create a little contempt, maybe a little anger, maybe a little frustration. But without the reality of our need, without the reality of understanding our sinfulness, Jesus doesn't make sense. And the story is incomplete. So he tells them, and then he says this in verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were enraged. Huh. I, yeah, I get it. And they ground their teeth at him. But here we go again. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last thing is this, and I want, I, I'm so passionate about this. I don't want you to miss it. It's critical of a church to understand its mission. Stephen understood the mission of the church. Listen, he had a ministry in the church. He also was filled with the character of God and the person of God. He was full of the spirit, power, wisdom, truth. And you'd say, just let's just love each other here. That's good, but it's not the end. The reality is Stephen understood the mission of God was that he would use his church to display his glory and to pursue the very mission of redemption. And it wasn't just for the apostles. It's like Stephen going to the apostles, hey, you really need to step into this situation over here. They're very antagonistic, and, you know, they need to hear the gospel. No, he knew the mission. He stepped into that moment, and he said, God, I'm pursuing your heart and your mission because I am a part of the church. I am a part of this community of faith. And so he began standing in there pursuing the heart of God, sharing the truth of where people were, but the heart of what Jesus wanted for him. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of remembering the mission of the church. Too many times it can be all about us. Let's just get together and, you know, do our thing. And we need to nurture relationships. We need to grow together. But we must not, cannot, should not, I hope we never will, forget the mission why we're here. It's to extend the gospel. It's to share hope with the world that needs to hear hope. What's our mission statement? We believe that God wants every man, woman, and child to have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and be transformed by the gospel as we live faithful lives of worship. I hope on my dying bed, maybe I'll say that. Somebody will go, that? I think it was important to him. I hope it's important to all of us. Because the power of the church is not in the greatness of the leader. 
but the engagement of the people around the very heart and mission of God. You want to change the world? Jesus said, I'm going to change the world. You know how I'm going to do it? By the church. I'm going, to have, I'm going to establish the church, and this is the vehicle that I will use to change the world radically. That is who we are. That is what he is doing. And so I just want to encourage you today, don't ever lose sight of the mission. If you go to work, and there are people that are far from Jesus there, pray for them. Pray, God, God, bring them, transform them, change them. Let me have a voice there. Let me be a witness there. But God, change them. We live in a community, and the communities around us, that God, help me begin praying for my neighbors in my neighborhood and those around me. Help me pray for my family who is lost and those around me that, that may not know you. But we must not lose sight of the mission that God has called us to. So I leave you with these three questions. Are there needs inside the church that God is calling you to step into? And if you hear a little voice, I don't know, children, um, children, no. Serious, I, I know I'm having a little fun, but the truth is we can't do it alone. We do it together, but when we do it together, it's more fun together, and we meet the needs together. God never has a deficit that he hasn't intended to fill with the people that he has formed, so let's do this well. We are blessed. Let's step into our blessing and continue to serve well, that we are people who have a posture of service in serving. We are not here to be served, but to serve. Second thing is, what is being shaped inside of you? What happens in preparing you for the onslaught of what comes against you? Because it will. You'll either be a casualty or you'll be a victor. And that's going to happen by what is being formed in you. It's not a lack of desire. I know, I, I don't know if I've ever talked to anyone who said, I just want to be defeated. I don't want to win the battle. No, people want to win. But you have to allow the Spirit of God to form your heart and your mind to immerse yourself in the truth of God's Word. Be a student of truth, being led by the Spirit, and continue to cultivate your understanding of God's greatness so that when you stand in that moment that you fear God more than you fear man. Do you realize, I believe it's the only place in Scripture where it says that Jesus stood at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? One of his children was being martyred for the faith that they embodied. It's powerful. Let God form in you what he wants to exhibit out of you. And then the last thing is this. 
Are you committed to God's mission by living out and sharing the gospel? This is our story. It's our story. It's just the beginning. But we're a chapter right now. We are the church. And God wants to continue to display his glory through this place and pursue his mission through this place. We are the church. So let's do this well. Father, this morning, we just bow before you. We're so thankful that you have welcomed us into this moment, this understanding that we are a part of something that you designed. And there's no flaw in this. That's the beautiful part. But sometimes, God, the, the challenge is that we don't exercise this design the way you designed it, that we do it in our own strength, our own power. We do our own thing. And God, today we want to lay down and we want to submit this to you. God, help us to be the church you designed and you, you desire so that we can fully realize everything that you want for your people as we live out the truth of who you are and the gospel with which you bring to the communities around us. So we give you glory in this place. Continue to grow, stretch, and use us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.